dear Christian friends. We're beginning a new worship series today called Lord Teach Us. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at Jesus teaching us. Some of the time it's going to be direct teaching, right? Some of the best teachers have different methods of teaching. Jesus, the perfect teacher, the best teacher, he does certainly too. And sometimes it'll be direct teaching, speaking to us. Sometimes it will be through parables, right? Those stories or illustrations that, that we can relate to, but that connect to spiritual truths. And sometimes it'll even be using a miracle. And God uses all these various ways to teach us. And that's really important because I was thinking about, like, just what, if you were going to summarize 2020 to this point, I mean, there's all kinds of memes out there, right? And you could do it under the theme of, of chaos or uncertainty or um, plans out the window or there's a whole variety of, of themes we could come up with. But maybe the one that, that struck me the most was simply the phrase, no one really knows. After all, when did COVID first come to America? No one really knows. We kind of have some general idea, but nobody really knows. When's COVID going to run up? No one really knows. What are the best practices? And here we get a, a myriad of opinions, right? And you even get expert opinions on different sides of all kinds of different issues. Which sure makes it seem like no one really knows. What's going to happen with school this fall? We're putting plans in place, but at this point, no one really knows. And maybe the most important question, is there going to be football this fall? At this point, no one really knows. And then you take all of that uncertainty and you put it into the, the world that we live in, where not only do people not know things, but even things that we, we thought we knew, even things that we were pretty sure of, seem to be challenged at the moment, and maybe even some of them flipped upside down. Right? There are some people now who would say that the police are the bad guys. There are things that you learned and I learned in, in school that all of a sudden we're being told that's not actually true. And no matter where you feel uh, fall on those things, really what it leads to is more of this uncertainty, more of this not sure which end is up, certainly not sure of what I should believe or who I should believe because it sure seems like no one really knows. And how's this all going to play out in six months, a year, five years, ten years, 50 years? And we don't know what's coming tomorrow. We certainly don't know what's coming down the road. So again, no one really knows. And that's why this series is so timely. And the way we're kicking it off today is so 
important because we live in a world that is filled with opinions and we're stuffed to the gills full of them. And we hear noise from our favorite news source, from our favorite social media uh, poster. We hear all of this noise from the world. And who do we believe? Well, I'll tell you who you can believe. The one that we're going to hear from today. Because there is someone that has answers. He has answers about what you need the most. He doesn't answer all of your questions, but he will answer the most important questions. And he has answers of how this is all going to play out. He's the one who knows everything, who knows where this is going, what it's going to lead to. He's the one who, who knows how all of this plays out. And of course, that someone is God. Now again, God doesn't always give us all the info that we want. He doesn't always tell us what we think is important. What he does tell us is what we need the most. To help us focus on the things that are most important, not just for our lives, but for our salvation and our eternity. And he points us to the one whom we can ultimately trust. And that's how Jesus starts off the Bible verses that we're looking at today. From Matthew chapter 11, we begin today at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Wait a minute. That sure sounds like something that I might read on social media right now. It sure fits into our crazy cultural narrative. It sure sounds like a gotcha soundbite, doesn't it? Like Jesus is saying that he plays favorites. That he's into the whole power dynamic in our political world. That there are some that he favors over others. That there is a, even a cover-up, maybe even a conspiracy that Jesus is involved in. And some people will hear these words and go, ha ha, I knew it. God isn't so all-loving. He isn't so righteous. He isn't so fair and compassionate. This just proves it. This just proves that God has some kind of a secret agenda. That God has a people. And that he excludes some people and he includes other people. Because he wants some people to have knowledge and some people to not. Now that seems like it fits into the, the crazy world that we live in, right? Because our culture sounds an awful lot like that. And so we're tempted to think maybe that's what Jesus is doing. But it's not. And if hopefully you've learned anything, it's that when you hear a gotcha soundbite, it's really important to know the context, right? The rest of the story, the rest of the conversation. So Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people. John the Baptist was in prison, and some of those who had been following John, disciples of John the Baptist, came to Jesus 
and they were, they were struggling because John had been in prison for no other reason than for telling people about Jesus, pointing them to him as the Savior. And so after John's disciples left, Jesus told the crowd, there's nobody like John the Baptist on earth. It's pretty high praise. But then he goes on to say these words, beginning at verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was pointing out that there were people in John's day and in Jesus' day who didn't really listen to him. So John the Baptist came, and he had this quirky, to say the least, diet, right? I mean, we've, we've looked at that at previously in Advent season leading up to Christmas. John lived out in the wilderness. He had rough camel's hair clothing, and he ate locust and wild honey. Like, quirky is a nice way to say, right? But because of that, what did people say? He's got a demon. Okay, so they used that to rationalize, to to minimize what John was saying. Then Jesus comes and he sits down with people at their dinner table and he eats and, and drinks with them and he lives among the people. And what do they say? Well, pff, he's a drunkard and a glutton. And look at the people he hangs out with. I mean, he should know better than associating with that person, much less calling him their, his friend. Doesn't he know? Everybody knows who that is and what they've done. Sinners. See, Jesus is pointing out that there were people who were a little too smart for their own good. They were using their human logic and their human reason to minimize, to deny what John the Baptist and what Jesus had came, had come to preach and teach. They didn't want to hear John's message of repentance and forgiveness. They didn't want to hear Jesus' message of repentance and forgiveness. So they figured out ways to do what we do now. This was like the original cancel culture. We don't need to listen to him. The guy's a drunkard. He sits down with people and they're terrible people to begin with. Eh. And Jesus warns them because you guys need to know this. You need to know why he came. You need to know what he came to do. They weren't interested in hearing what God had to say to them. They weren't interested in hearing about their own sins, and as a result, they really weren't interested in hearing a need for a Savior because they didn't see one. They thought that salvation was something that somehow could be attained, could be achieved, whether it was through external works, doing this thing over and over and over again, and God will be pleased with it. Or even achieving a certain level of, of knowledge and wisdom and sophistication and, and external goodness. And, and God will be pleased with that. But salvation is never something that we can earn or achieve. It is always and only a gift of God by faith. And that's the problem. For those people who were pushing Jesus away, who were denying and ignoring and canceling John and the Baptist and Jesus, their problem was trust. It was faith. They didn't want to trust. They didn't want to believe what Jesus said. They simply trusted and relied on themselves, on their own abilities, their own works, their own cleverness and wisdom. 
The problem is that they, like everyone else, is born into this world with that default, with that as the default switch. That we rely on ourselves, our, our own wisdom, our own cleverness, even our own righteousness. And as a result, we have no need for a savior. And therefore, no real interest in God. Which brings us to our first takeaway this morning. It's that by nature, my knowledge of God is hidden behind a wall of my sin. Now, there are some things that we can know about God, right? We can know that he's wise and that he's good, that he's kind, that he's generous. We can, we can know that he is holy and we can know that we are accountable to him. But we can't truly know who God is because the Bible says God is love. We don't know that God because our sin is this giant wall that separates us from him and we can't see over it or around it or through it to truly know God. The problem is, though, we still might think we do because we're pretty smart, right? I mean, we're, we're clever people. We're, we've got all this thinking upstairs, we got all this book learning. We had all this time during COVID to sit around and just do a lot of thinking. And we're smart. And we're tempted to think that God thinks like I think. So the things that I think are right, well, God agrees. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we're on the same page, God. And the things that I think are wrong, oh, those, those things, those people, those are definitely wrong. And my opinions... Well, those are, they, if they aren't, they should be God's opinions. And the things that, well, that I choose to do, well, they must be right. Because I think they are. And I know what's best for me. And I'm in control of my life. And you see how all of our thinking about God is at best flawed and at worst, just straight up wrong. Because our thinking is corrupted by that self-reliance, that self, uh, self-righteousness by sin. And so these sinful, broken people simply couldn't understand Jesus. And that's why Jesus praises God our Father, our Heavenly Father, right? But please understand, when Jesus praises God the Father for keeping things hidden he wasn't doing it in like some evil, maniacal <laughs> way. He wasn't doing it in a, a thumb-on-the-nose kind of way, looking down on these simpletons that have no business with God. Even though he could have, because he's the all-knowing God, compared to our so limited ability to think and reason and know. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, good, some people should be excluded. What Jesus is saying is God chose a way that human wisdom can't fathom because it's too simple. Because it, it doesn't rely on us. That God chose this amazingly, beautifully good way for people to know God and to be saved. But it has nothing to do with us. And therefore, we can't comprehend it. 
And Jesus is praising God for, in so many words, leveling the playing field. That this is a gift for every single person, no matter how old or young, how smart or not. No matter if they're handicapped, if they're fully able-bodied, no matter what skin color, language they speak, this is God's gift for everybody. But it's hidden based on our human thinking, based on our ability to rationalize and, and outsmart and be clever and understand God. Which brings us to our next takeaway, that true wisdom and true knowledge of God only come by faith. See, this means that God was actually hidden from those people that didn't believe in Jesus, that didn't believe him and his message. They rejected him, and therefore they didn't know God, even though God was standing right in front of them. It's actually kind of hard for us to fathom, isn't it? Because that just makes no sense to us. And yet to them, standing there with God right in front of them, that made no sense. Because it's not a logical application. It's faith. But please understand, this doesn't mean that Jesus said, fine, you guys think you're smarter than me? Pfft, I'm done with you for eternity. He didn't just wipe them off the map or, or write them off. He again and again and again and again preached to them. He, he showed them the error of their ways. He called them out for their self-reliance and self-righteousness. He pointed them to their need for a Savior and showed them that the only way to be saved was through God and his gift of grace. And he didn't just tell them, did he? he? He showed them. I mean, think of all the miracles that these people saw. Think of, of the healings that they saw Jesus perform. Think of, of raising Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb for days. And they saw this with their own eyes. They knew that man was dead and buried. And here he is standing and living and breathing and talking. And instead of going, whoa, as a, a rational brain should but does not because of sin, they did what sinful minds do. And they looked for any way to discredit and disapprove of God. Instead, they actually used it as a reason, well, we need to kill him. We need to get rid of this guy. Because sinful minds simply can't fathom God. Instead of listening to God's word expose their failings, they rejected it. They turned a deaf ear and a blind eye and ignored everything Jesus said to them. <sighs> Thank God that we would never do that. Thank God that he doesn't stand here right in front of me because I would have to say, welcome Jesus, my humble God. Right? We would never have what we think is an opportunity pass in front of us, but we know that it's sinful. We know that it's wrong, and we know that it's disobedient, whatever that opportunity is. And it, it's staring right at us, and we know it's wrong, but we think, I can make this work. I can, I can do a little bit of an end around God's law on that one. 
I can, I can find a loophole. I'm clever. I'm smart enough. I, you know, I'm not even sure God's going to know. And if he does, he probably doesn't care. And, and I can find some kind of excuse to make God understand, you know what, you're right. That one was totally okay. We do that, don't we? In fact, we probably do that way more often than we even realize. Certainly more often than we'd like to admit. We think that we know what's best. We think that we can outsmart God, that we can out-righteousness out his law, that we can out-this, out-that. We've got this. We can figure this out. We can take care of this problem. And we can't. And you know what it leads to? It leads to the very thing that the crowds around Jesus' day and us and every other human being knows. That when you cross that line, when you break God's law, you know what it leads to? Guilt. Because you and I and all other people are guilty. And that guilt, it weighs on us. It loads us down around our shoulders. It hangs like an anchor around our necks. And it's heavy. And we don't know what to do with it. And we try and try and try over and over in so many ways and all the ways that we could possibly think of to be free and we can't. We can't undo what we did and we can't balance out the karmic scales with God. We can't be free from our guilt because we are guilty. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us burdened with guilt that sometimes just eats away at us to the point where we just, we can't rest. When we try to sleep, it doesn't come. If I allow my mind to be quiet just for a moment, my guilt floods in and so I'm busy all the time. I busy myself nonstop so I don't have to think about this. It makes us so frustrated and maybe even angry with ourselves, but we can't, we can't very well show it with ourselves, so we just show anger with everyone. And we certainly don't know how to fix the problem because as far as we know, all we can do is, is bury it or minimize it or deny it but we can't be free from it, at least not on our own. We don't have that answer, but Jesus does. Look at verse 28. These familiar words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here is Jesus' answer. It's his answer to the guilt that robs us of peace, to the guilt that, that makes us wonder why we did that again and again and again, to the guilt that, that causes us anxiety and worry 
to the guilt that even makes us wonder if God could possibly love us. And Jesus' answer is Jesus. That brings us to our last takeaway, our next takeaway, that true rest comes from Jesus. When you are frustrated, when you are weary and burdened with your guilt and you are sick and tired of just being beaten down, of having this guilt hang around my neck, of not being able to stop my sin, right? We heard the Apostle Paul talk about that before. Why did I think that? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? When you get to the point where your guilt is just heavy, what does Jesus say? Come to me. So listen to him. Go to Jesus. Why? Well, go to Jesus because he heard the words all around him. He heard the doubters and the naysayers. And he didn't let it sway him. He didn't let him doubt God or God's plan for these unworthy and undeserving people like you and me. Go to Jesus who is willing to suffer disgrace and humiliation by people who were so blind in their sin that they could not see God standing right in front of them. Go to Jesus who is willing to take the guilt of you and me and every other people this unimaginable burden of guilt and to take it all on the cross and to make the payment for it. Go to Jesus who has freed you from your guilt and has forgiven your sin by his blood. Go to Jesus who laid down his life for you. And it's the same God who was willing to do that, who says, come to me, right? Not arms crossed, begrudgingly saying, hey, how's it going? All right. It's the same God who gave his life, who, who waves you in with nail-scarred hands, who welcomes you with open arms, with love and compassion, with forgiveness peace. Go to Jesus. He says, come to me. Because he's the one who gives you true rest. But wait a minute, Pastor. Um, I, I got one question. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he goes on to say, and take my yoke upon you. Because this sounds like I'm just trading one burden for another burden. It's true. But understand the burden you're taking on versus the burden you're giving up. The burden that Jesus is taking off of you is one that you can't handle. It's one that you have no hope to be free from. It's one that you can't carry and it will drag you down forever to the pit of hell. It is the burden of guilt, the burden of sin. But the burden, the yoke that Jesus has us carry, in other places he calls it his cross.
cross. Just like he took our burden to the cross, he gives us a burden to carry and he calls it a cross. And this cross, it's actually really simple. Human wisdom says it's a burden. But spiritual wisdom by faith says, oh, that's not bad at all. It's, it's following after Jesus. It's walking after our Savior. It's living the life that he designed and desires for you and for me. Because when we live his way, yeah, there might be people who wonder why we do that. That seems weird. But it spares us from a whole lot of guilt and a whole lot of suffering as a result. And even better, the burden that Jesus gives us, it's actually peace. It's having peace that I know that all of my guilt is gone. It's the, the hope of having eternity laying in front of me and waiting for me. It's not such a burden after all, is it? It's our last takeaway. That it takes faith, which is spiritual wisdom, to understand and to take up the cross that Jesus gives me. It's a burden, but not really. Certainly not compared to the burden that Jesus took from us. It's important that we listen to Jesus. That we stop and pause and listen to him and learn from him. Not only does he have a lot to teach us, but we definitely need to know. Because we live in a world where it sure seems like no one really knows. And man, that seems more and more true every day. But here, Jesus gives you an answer. In fact, he gives you the answer, the answer that everybody is looking for, the answer that every sin-sick, guilt-ridden soul needs. It's freedom and forgiveness in Jesus. It's the answer for when you fail. It's the answer when you're frustrated with yourself because you failed again and you did the same thing. It's the answer when the world seems to be falling apart and I'm not sure how I'm going to fall asleep tonight. The answer is Jesus. Go to him. Listen to him. Take it all to him and find the rest that he gives you because it is true peace and hope for your soul. Amen.